0: Well, this morning, it's a privilege to hear from Mark Renfro. He's the area director for the Arab world. So that would stretch from North Africa, from Morocco, all the way over to Egypt, and then throughout the Middle East in the Arabian Peninsula. And he's going to share and help us catch vision, continue to catch vision for God's desire to be glorified by every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Uh, Mark is a husband, father of four great kids, and he's a friend. And we're we really kind of a privilege to host Mark this weekend. Um, he's already been pouring into the community. He spoke with Purdue High Alpha on Friday night and, and met with some people yesterday, and, and we just look forward to the day with Mark. And uh, so would you welcome? Actually, before he comes, we're actually going to show a video first, and let me give you some context. what we're going to show. So Mark lives in Amman, Jordan. And one of the great things that's happening in Amman, Jordan, and in four or three other places is we have Live Dead training centers. And, and many of you know a bit about Live Dead, about planning the church in teams amongst unreached people groups. And so Amman, Jordan is a training center for uh, one of those uh, places that we can raise up people and what it looks like to do exactly that. So we're going to share a brief video on that so you can see Mark's life in Amman, and then he's going to come and just share the word with us this morning. So if we could share that video. <music>
1: Ancient but modern, impoverished yet affluent, religious but spiritually lost. This is Amman, Jordan, an ancient city of contrast dating back to Bible times. It is now home to one of the largest populations of unreached people in the Arab world. Amman, Jordan is a, it's a city of about 2.5 million people, about 97% of Jordan is Muslim, 3% nominally Christian. Uh, to be Christian in Jordan doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus, it just means that you're not a Muslim. The people of Amman we have found to be extremely open and sociable, easily approachable. I think the average Jordanian is really more concerned with his day-to-day living. You know, How do I provide for my family? The same thing drives their hearts and their activities and and, and really that motivates their daily life, that motivates mine. In that sense, I I find it very easy to connect
0: with Muslims.
1: A church planting team is gathered in Jordan to share the good news with the lost. Using a team approach, they are living in community with Jordanians in order to learn the culture and gain insight into their lives. One of the ways we tend to focus our efforts in this part of the world is by finding inroads into the community that are natural and that provide value. Most of us are native English speakers, so we get to come and we start English centers all across the region.
0: By teaching English as a second language, workers gradually build relationships with those who are looking for meaning in their lives.
1: Despite the often hostile environment, this team of church planters isn't discouraged by
0: the difficulties that are sometimes presented in the Middle East. Are there risks involved? Yes. But I would say the biggest risk is that there are people here that unless someone reaches them are going to spend an eternity
1: without God. Until the church has been planted amongst those 361 unreached people groups, we have a lot of work ahead of us. But we're confident that we're going where Jesus is leading and we're confident that he goes with us and empowers us every step of the way. Good morning. Great to be here today. Uh, Great to be part of uh, the church. I love the church. You can't love Jesus and not love his bride. You can tell me you love me, but if you don't love my wife Amy, then there's something wrong because we're inseparable. Uh, Well, not this weekend, obviously, but, uh, you know, uh, normally we're inseparable. Uh, our, Our life's a little crazy, so we have this beautiful family I wanted to introduce you to. That lady next to me there is my wonderful, beautiful, talented, smart, strong wife, Amy. If there's anything good in my life, it comes from Jesus and her. Uh, I am committed to listening to God's voice every single day, and I have discovered that a lot of times it sounds just like hers. Um, And so um, she uh, sends her love. Our lives are a little crazy. Uh, I have four kids, uh, Amy and our youngest son, just landed in Bangkok, Thailand, my daughter is teaching in Alexandria, Egypt. My oldest son is in Springfield, Missouri, and my youngest, my middle son is in um, Lakeland, Florida. Took me a second, I'm forgetting. Uh, as a freshman in university, so a typical American life. Um, they are great kids. Um, our, starting with the one on the far side over here, that beautiful young lady, that's our daughter. Her name is Noor. Uh, all of our kids have Arabic speaking, Arabic names uh, nur is the Arabic word for light. Jesus is referred to in Scripture as Nur Al Alam, the light of the world, and uh, so she does bring light to our lives. And anybody who knows her, Zach and Shelly know her. She is a very much a bright, shining little personality. Then we have three boys. Uh, the one next to her, Nur is our is our oldest son, Habib. You can tell by looking at him that he is very much a conformist. Um, uh, he, you know, he not not creative, not uh, you know. He, I remember the day that he, he called me, or we were talking, and he, he had, clearly had something on his mind, wanted to talk to me about, so we went out for breakfast at our little favorite place we have in Amman. Um, you know what hummus is? A few of you do. Hummus is Middle Eastern food. It's, uh, uh, you probably don't know, but it's actually breakfast food uh, in the Arab world, and so we went out and had hummus and falafel uh, for breakfast and talking, and he, he, he clearly has something on his mind he wants to share with me, and he says, um, Dad, I just want you to know that as I grow up you know, I leave the house, I really want to be a musician. A few parents just gasp. Because uh, you know, I had two conflicting things going on in my head at that moment. One, I love this boy. I want to bless him. I want to see him pursue whatever the Lord puts in his heart. And two, I don't want him living with me the rest of his life. Um <laughs> And so those things were, you know, at, at battle inside of my head. And um, fortunately, the first one won out. Uh, I did tell him, look, buddy, you know, we bless you. Whatever God calls you to do, we're going to support you. We're going to stand behind you. There's good news. He no longer wants to be a musician. Uh, he has found the one occupation with less job stability. He now wants to be a poet. Uh, you know, so uh, it's all right. You know, uh, and Zach and Shelley are laughing because they know Habib. And that does not surprise them at all. Um, he is freakishly smart, brilliant, speaks Arabic, and uh, loves Jesus. Then we have two other boys. Our son Nabil is the one right there in the middle. He's a freshman in university. Uh, all of our kids are smart. He's probably the least academic of all of our kids, but he's off the charts. In what we would call EQ, emotional quotient. You know, he just gets people, people get him. He walks into the room, everybody just kind of drawn to Nabil. You know, he's just that kind of kid. The challenge of that, of course, is, you know, he's going to university as a freshman. And, you know, I'm trying to say, you know, buddy, you know, what are you going to study? You know, do well in school, you know, work hard, all that. He's just worried about whether or not he's going to find friends. You know, and I'm thinking, look, I can, I can send you to day camp a lot cheaper. You can find friends there. You know, it doesn't cost $30,000 to make friends. And, um, you know, but he's doing well. Uh, I talked to him the other day, you know, actually a couple weeks ago, and talking about the semester. And I'm like, you know, hey, buddy, you know, joint school? Yep, doing good. You know, getting up for time on class, everything. Yep, everything's good, Dad. No problem. What's your favorite class? Um, macroeconomics. I'm thinking, hmm great, he's studying international business, but that doesn't exactly sound like my son Nabil. So I said, uh, what is it you like? You know, the professor, the subject? He goes, oh no, Dad. there's this beautiful girl that sits next to me in class. I went, okay, I am talking to the right boy. Yeah, all right. Uh, and then we have our youngest son. Oh, by the way, and he loves Jesus. And then our youngest son, Imad, is there. Uh, he is uh, 16 years old, um, junior in high school. Uh, we're in the States this sh- for a year. We're wrapping that up in May. First time we've lived in America since 2004. Uh, our kids had never gone to school in America, so we thought maybe it would be interesting to help them walk through that, navigate what that would look like. We kind of discovered that that might be important from a lesson that our daughter taught us as she related to her first semester in university. As she'd come to the States studying at Middle America you know, conservative, conservative, traditional part of America. She'd grown up overseas, uh, didn't think really as an American, thought really much more as a global citizen because that's just her paradigm growing up. She says the only thing she knew about American history, she learned from Adventures in Odyssey. Um, so, you know, and uh, she has to take American government and she knows nothing about American government. And so she's studying really hard she has a very, very conservative professor, and he's actually a retired Air Force colonel. Now, let's say that their politics were a little bit on different poles. Uh, he was a little right of Fox News, and she was somewhere else. And um, they were always sparring with one another, and uh, one day he Talking about the Second Amendment and how important it is that we defend the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms. And finally, about 20 minutes into the class, my daughter raises her hand and they kind of have this sort of love hate sparring relationship by this point. And he says, Yes, Noor, what is your question? And she goes, I'm sorry, I don't understand anything we are talking about. Everybody in this country wears short sleeve shirts. The right to bear arms. So the, the, the takeaway for this is if God does call you to be a missionary, you will screw up your children. Um, but by God's grace, they will love Jesus. Because ultimately, my friends, that's the only thing that's important. It doesn't matter if your children sit in the classroom, in the boardroom, or behind the counter at McDonald's. What is most important is that they love Christ. That Jesus is supreme in all things. Pastor Zach introduced me this morning, gave me a nice introduction. You know, he told somebody earlier today, I used to be his boss. I thought to myself, I'm not sure that's really a compliment because he left. <laughs> uh, so uh, you'll have to determine that at the end of the message, I guess. His, mess, his introduction was nice, uh, good introductions, Zach. Uh, not the best introduction I've ever had, but you know, good, good. Um, I got introduced a few weeks ago, I was at a church and the pastor introduced me and said, today our speaker is Mark Renfro, he's in charge of the Arab world. You know, I thought, whoa, you know, <laughs> I just got a raise, uh, you know. Actually what I thought was I should be fired, if that's the case, think about it. Five revolutions, four civil wars, ISIS, Syria. The country of Syria, sociologists tell us, will probably never be the same as it was before 2011. Half of its 22 million people population now lives displaced, either internally or externally in the country. It's an absolute disaster. Our part of the world never makes the news for anything positive. As a matter of fact, when you know Zach, you know his background, but if you were to walk down the streets of West Lafayette wearing that thing he's got around his neck, I guarantee you, you would not get positive looks by most people. It would strike fear into most people's minds. So why is it, In the last seven years, we have seen our number of missionaries grow from 39 missionary units, a unit being a single or a family, from 39 to 194. It's certainly not because we have good news coming from our part of the world. It is certainly not because of something as trivial as a slick brand or name recognition of of an approach to missions like Live Dead. It's certainly not because of any charismatic leaders. I can only believe that it is because the spirit of the sovereign God has chosen this as his time for the Arab Muslim world. That God chooses to bring healing where there is most brokenness. We know that. Not simply because of the world, but we know that because of his own working in our lives. The church is meant to be both a hospital and a launching pad. It is a place where the broken and the sinful come to find hope and healing. But it is not simply a convalescent home where we are called to live forever, longing to be made perfect we are launched into the world to be the ones rescuing those who are perishing. God does not call supermen. God calls normal men. I take the time this morning to introduce you to my family mostly because I want you to understand how absolutely normal I am. I wish I had... Zach's physique. However, I can promise you that I am bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. And what God wants to do in every single one of us is to make our hearts, our minds, our spirits and our souls bigger than our bodies. He wants to increase our capacity to love the lost and to love him. In Revelation chapter 5 we read the picture of all peoples of all time standing before the throne of God. We read the book of the Revelation and sometimes we make the mistake of reading it like it is prose, like it is the newspaper. That's not what it is. It's more like reading the script of an opera. It is grand in its images. It is powerful in its portrayal of these grand schemes and in images of all time. In Revelation chapter 5, we read this scene that takes place before the throne of God. John the Revelator has been caught up into heaven. He sees this vision. There are people from... Every tribe, every nation, every tongue before the throne of God. People are represented from every tribe, every moment, past, present, and future. All of God's creation, even animals are represented before the throne of God. All the celestial beings, angels, principalities, all represented before the throne of God. The Father is sitting on the throne and it says he is holding in his hand a scroll. The scroll that contains the history of all mankind and all of the universe, past, present, future. John says he knows because the Father has said who is worthy to open the scroll and no one is coming forward. And it says John... Realizes that there is a gap, there is a hole, there is something tremendously missing in the fact that this cannot, this scroll cannot be opened. It's so impactful on John that it says he actually starts to weep. One of the elders who is standing there reaches out, puts his hand on John's shoulder, and says, Don't weep, my friend. He says, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you like to read like I do, maybe you've read Chronicles of Narnia. It's certainly maybe you've seen the movie. I read this passage and I get in my mind this image of Aslan standing there, you know, this big maned lion with this roar that when he roars, you know, remember in the movie, like their hair blows back. You know, it's that kind of image, this powerful lion that's going to roar and set all things right. And John says, I looked, and there was a lion, not a lion, but a lamb, standing as though he had been slain. This white, spotless, pure lamb whose throat had been cut and its chest was covered with blood. The sacrificial lamb was the lion. We love to talk about victory in the church, but we forget that victory was paid for with a price. We also must understand that for victory to be revealed amongst the nations of the earth, it will require the suffering of God's people. Jesus is the mighty lion of the tribe of Judah. But there is something inseparable between victory and suffering, between the lion and the lamb, and that if we are going to be Christ ambassadors in the world, taking the gospel to places and to peoples where Jesus has not yet been made manifest, it will require a degree of sacrifice and of suffering. I have been doing missions now for 25 years. I am going to be brutally honest with you this morning. It has not been worth it. Learning Arabic has not been worth the effort that it's taken. Raising my children in the Muslim world where they received ridicule because they were Christians has not been worth it. There have been a dozen reasons throughout our time, significant reasons for us to quit. And many times I have thought to myself, this is simply not worth it. The problem with my statements is worth it puts me on the throne. None of it has been worth it, but Jesus has proven himself to be worthy. We make comments about something being worth it because we are making an evaluation of what we have in our hands and what we are exchanging it for. If I am exchanging my life for anything other than the glory of Jesus, then it is not worth it. Jesus, in his worth, is on one side of the scale and anything I add to the other side of the scale is not does not move the glory and the weight of Jesus. Neither my successes nor my failures move the scale because Jesus alone is worth it. Only Jesus is worthy. I don't call you this morning to missions. I don't call you to the Middle East. I don't call you to the Muslim world. I call you to Jesus. If your heart is lined up with Jesus, then everything else falls into place. But you can do the right things for the wrong motives. This morning, I call you to the lion and the lamb. There is only one response that is suitable when we encounter the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Revelation 5, it says that when the elders encounter the lamb who takes the scroll and who opens it up, that every one of them fall to the ground in worship. There is only one suitable response to Jesus, and that is worship. He is Lord. I, I, I know Zach is kind of leading this congregation in this direction too, but I love reading old dead guys. Um, and, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, if their books have lasted more than 50 years and people are still reading them, they probably actually have something worth saying. Uh, and two, they're not going to screw up. They're dead. Um, so we know how they ended. You know, so I am gonna. I got limited time. Time's my only non-replenishable resource. I don't have a lot of time. I work hard. And so when I'm going to spend it reading, I'm going to spend it reading something that's of value. And one of the guys I like to read is this old dead guy named A.W. Tozer. Um, Tozer had a little bit of an edge. Uh, anybody who's read Tozer knows that's like an understatement. Uh, he used to say Christians don't tell lies. They go to church and sing them. Um, we sing songs about Jesus as Lord and then think we can say no. See, the word Lord and the word no never go together in the same sentence. When our sentences include no Lord, then it's not the Lord who needs to change, it's us. That God is helping us move toward him, move toward his plan, move toward his purposes. When we talk about the Arab Muslim world, these 17 countries up on the map, we understand that these people are, these countries are populated with people that many of in our country would call enemies. I understand that. I remember where I was on 9-11, sitting in my car outside of a little Caesar's pizza in Amman, Jordan. It wasn't a real Little Caesar. Somebody had just stole the name. Uh, but it did have buy one, get one free. And when you got four kids, you know. Uh, I remember hearing about a plane striking the first tower and initially they thought it was a small plane that it hit. And then while I sat there, they made the announcement that another plane had just hit the, other, the second tower. And I remember thinking to myself, I know exactly what this is about. Even though I was a missionary to the Muslim world, I will be honest and tell you that over the next few days, the feelings that rose up in my heart were not positive. I have lived and served in the Muslim world, as I mentioned, for 25 years now. That is way long enough for my love to have lost any sentimentality that was attached to it. So when I say that I love the Muslim world, it is not a love of sentiment. It is not some form of sloppy, untested romance. It is a love that comes from Jesus. It is a love that Jesus longs to complete the mosaic of every tribe, nation, and tongue to be represented before the throne of God. Every time a people group is brought Into that global body of worshipers, the church is made more complete. In truth, the global body of Christ will never be complete until the last tribe, nation, and tongue is brought into obedient worship before Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. However, it is not my goal, it is not my desire to simply see Muslims bow their knee in submission and in subjection. It is my hope and my desire that they actually bow their knee in worship. That they bow their knee on this side of eternity, not simply on the other side. That will not happen unless you and I make a decision to follow Jesus obediently into whatever engagement he calls us toward. Your church talks about missions, it talks about unreached people groups. I could talk to you this morning about the fact that they have these 361 unreached people groups scattered across the Arab world, 330 million people. But that wouldn't really mean anything to you, it wouldn't touch your heart. It's just numbers, it's just statistics. So let me try to put it in terms that are a little bit more tangible Let's imagine it's a cold winter day in Indiana. We don't have to do a whole lot to imagine that today. You're weary of the winter and you decide to take your family on a trip to South Florida to enjoy a nice vacation. You take your family, you go down, you get a hotel room. 80 degrees you decide to go out around the pool you've got your little kids you're running they're running around the edge of the pool they're playing let's imagine you have a three-year-old you know old enough to run around old enough to get in a lot of trouble probably not old enough really to swim yet running around the edge of the pool you're there maybe dad's in the pool mom's getting some sun up on the edge you know of the pool Brothers, sisters are running around. Maybe grandparents go with you, and they're sitting in the pool. They're playing with the kids in the pool. Three-year-old's running around the edge of the pool, gets over on the deep end and slips, gets a little too close, slips, falls into the deep end, can't swim. Is that child in danger? Yes or no? Yes, of course they're in danger. However, there are people there who care for that child who have the capacity to save them. That's what it's like to be lost in West Lafayette. Are they are lost people in West Lafayette in danger? Absolutely. However, God has placed you in their lives so that they would be rescued. Now let me take you to another three-year-old. This three-year-old didn't grow up in West Lafayette. This three-year-old grew up in Aleppo, Syria. So every day of his life has been invaded with the sounds of bombs going off. His family has become weary of war and has decided we can't take this anymore. We are leaving. They sell everything that they own and they buy Tickets on a small boat to take them from Tartus, Syria on the coast of the Mediterranean to one of the Greek isles where they know that if they can get there, they can get into a refugee camp. The tickets that they buy are actually passage that they pay to an unscrupulous smuggler of human beings. Who has a boat that's designed for 20 people, but because he's unscrupulous, he sells 60 seats on this boat built for 20. And because what he's doing is illegal, he can't take people out in the middle of the day, so he has to take people out at night. And the best nights to go out on are the ones that are cloudy and when there's actually rain, because then nobody can spot them. And so they're going across the rift, they're going across. The sea and of course there are 60 people in this boat. And mom sitting on the edge of the boat with her little three-year-old sitting there next to her. And mom doesn't know how to swim. And because they're from a desert, nobody on the boat knows how to swim. And they hit a big wave. And they come up out of the water and when it lands hard crashing, mom and baby go off the side of the boat pool it off the side of the boat land in the mediterranean sea in the middle of the night in the middle of a storm with a boat filled with people who don't know how to swim what's that child's chances of survival zero that's what it's like to be unreached in the arab muslim world it's not an issue of love it's not an issue of concern for jesus it's an issue of access access to the gospel. For most Muslims, they have no access to a believer. They have no access to scripture. They have no access to a missionary. The only way they're going to get to know Jesus as Lord and Savior is if somebody takes extraordinary means to leave home and comfort so that they might be engaged with the gospel. I've not met a Muslim yet who came to know Jesus by accident. It always required intentionality. However, what I have discovered is that even in the hard, rocky soil of the Arab Muslim Middle East, when the gospel is proclaimed in power, it always bears fruit. This morning, as I wrap up, I want to tell you a couple of stories that show just how this is happening. I have come on a tremendous pilgrimage in the last 25 years. When I showed up in the Muslim world, I had this incredible naivete, maybe even arrogance to think that God somehow needed me in the Arab world. I'm sure God was sitting on his throne going, okay, now we got this under control. Mark just arrived. What the Arab world has taught me that I needed it more than it needed me. I needed the brokenness. That would come in my own life. Learning that just how desperately I needed to make Jesus the pearl of great price in my life. Or I would not survive. Living side by side with men and women who had suffered for their faith has taught me that. Nothing is more humbling than leading a person to faith in Jesus. And then seeing them suffer for their faith. I remember talking to a young man. His name was Jason. Jason wanted to serve in our part of the world as a missionary. He was talking to me. I was going to be his future boss. And I'm sure there was an element in his heart where he wanted to impress me. He quoted the church father, Tertullian, who said, "...the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church." But he quoted it a little bit too lightly. Jason reminded me of me. I love to read. I have a good memory. And it's easy to throw around quotes like that. It's not so easy to throw them around when the blood of the martyrs are actually your friends. People that you've been involved in their spiritual journey. One of those people is a young woman by the name of Genevia. In 2003, Amy and I... Started going in and out of Iraq. We started a Bible school there. I had this young lady who was my translator. I speak Arabic, but the Iraqi dialect's very different than the Arabic I speak, and so I would always have Geneva translate for me. She was an engineer. Every single member of her family lived in Chicago. Only her remained in the Arab world. Her family would call her almost daily saying, you should come to America. We can get you a green card. You're an engineer. You're from a Christian background. America would love to have people like you here. Geneva used to respond every time the same way. God has not given me a husband, but he has married me to the land of Iraq. Somebody invited me to come to New York City to preach at an event where people were raising up money to plant the church in the Muslim world. I remember showing up and I had this burden that the Lord had given me a particular word to share and, and I was troubled by it. I, I joked with Pastor Zach last night, I said, you know, I always want to be Joel Olstein and somehow end up being David Wilkerson. I was talking to Amy and I said, I mean, Amy was in Jordan. I was walking around the streets of New York. I finally called her on my cell phone and said, I'm really troubled here. I said, the Lord's message that he has given me is one that is going to be hard for these people to hear. I mean, after all, if you've ever done anything like this, you know, to, to do a banquet in a hotel in New York City. You know, you're paying $150 for a plate for a dry chicken. And people are going to sit there and I'm going to tell them that the money that they are giving tonight are going to send people to their death. And they have to be okay with that. Not because their time was worth it, but because Jesus is worthy. That Jesus is actually worthy of the blood of his martyrs. That some places will not be evangelized unless there are people, men, women who are willing to go and not ask to come back. I do not say this with one ounce of bravado. That night as I got ready, I will fill you in on a little bit of my wife's personality. Amy's not really a funny person. We joke and laugh her at our house a lot, and it's usually at her expense. Uh, But that night as I was talking to her on the phone, I said, honey, this is what the Lord has told me to say. And, you know, I kind of joked and I said, I'm going to give everybody heartburn. Amy said, well, all I can say is go buy them a pack of Tums and preach God's word. (laughs) Little did I know is that night when I was getting ready to walk out of my hotel room that just right before I would go down the elevator... My phone would buzz. I would pick it up and read a text message from my friend, Pastor Jewel, that said our dear sister, Genevia, was shot to death today on the streets of Baghdad. She never found herself a husband. But she eventually wound up being a bride. That God used her to bring men and women from Iraq to himself In November of 2007, I stood in line at the immigration counter in Amman, Jordan, and things did not seem to be going well. They were taking way longer than they should. Long story short, I ended up being held. Um, they They treated me kindly, but I was clearly under arrest. They didn't take my cell phone away, but... They did take my passport. I had no ability to go anywhere. I was moved off to a side room. I was texting back and forth with some two people. One was Amy and the other one was my friend, Jewel, who pastors New Life Church in Baghdad. I sent him a text, sent him several texts. At one point when it was finally clear that I was not going to be allowed back in Jordan, though that's where my wife and four kids were, I wrote him a message and said, "'My heart is broken.'" This land that I love, these people that I care for, I will not be able to serve. He wrote me back a simple message. It was not a word of, oh, it'll be okay. It was simply a scripture verse. It was Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It says, it has been appointed to us not only to believe in his name, but to suffer for him also. See, what I didn't tell you is that Pastor Jewel understood this principle very well because he had actually suffered for Jesus' name's sake. He had been arrested and placed in an Iraqi prison. He knew what it meant to suffer for Jesus' name. He knew what it meant to serve Jesus in difficult places. He also knew what it meant to be fruitful in the midst of hardship. The truth is that I have discovered in my own life... That serving Jesus in difficult times causes me to cry out to God in a way that I never do in times of ease. And as I cry out to God, God seems to come down and kiss my ministry in such a way that makes me more fruitful for his namesake. Not because I am praying for fruit in my ministry necessarily, but because I have drawn closer to God, because I am abiding in Him. Not because abiding is a value, but because abiding is a necessity. I have discovered that He smiles on my life and actually bears fruit. I learned this principle from people like Pastor Jewel. Today, New Life Church ministers... All across the nation, last year, Pastor Jewel's wife Hala, said, "I feel called to reach out to this particular little neighborhood next to their church. It's all Shiite Muslim." Seeing Muslims come to faith in Christ is not an easy task, but she felt particularly called to this particular group in this particular neighborhood. She said, I have a desire to see them come to faith in Jesus, and and I, I believe that God, by the end of the year, is going to give me 12 ladies, one for every month of the year, that by the end of the year I will be discipling. By June, 32 women were gathered together being discipled by Hala, all from a Shiite Muslim background. Pastor Jewel, while he was in prison, leads two men to Jesus, one a Sunni and one a Shiite. And through them, the church is planted across Iraq. God speaks to young men and young women like Austin and Katie who are going to take their four children to the city of Basra in southern Iraq so that the church of Jesus Christ might be planted there. This is a place where first world prices and third world living Where it's 125 degrees in the summer and 90% humidity. Will it be easy to plant the church in the Muslim world? Will it be safe? Whether it is easy is absolutely unquestionable. It will not be. Whether it is safe is in God's sovereign control. But what I do know is whether it will be easy and whether it will be safe are absolutely irrelevant questions. The only response to Jesus is yes. When Jesus calls us, he calls us to himself. And I believe that Jesus is calling us to obedient service in the Arab Muslim world. Pastor Zach has shared a few stories about the country that he used to live in. And God is doing some amazing things there. You know, we've seen number of disciples. I don't like to go down numbers paths because that's not what this is about. Because if one person comes to Jesus, we rejoice in that. But, but we've seen numbers go from like 261 to 600 to 1,000 to 5,000 people from a Muslim background coming to faith in Christ. I want to close tonight, this afternoon, by telling you about three. Three men who came to faith in Christ. The guy who leads this work in this particular country is from a Hamas background. You know what Hamas is? It's a terrorist organization. That's where his background is. So, ideologically, he is with Hamas and educationally, he has what we would call a doctorate degree in Koran. Prior to coming to faith in Christ, the Israeli government had, uh, had chosen to arrest him, probably for good reason. He had spent time in an Israeli jail because of his activities. His brother is currently serving a life sentence in prison because of terroristic activities. He came to faith in Jesus, though. His life totally changed. After a little while coming to faith in Jesus, the Israelis no longer started or kept arresting him. Now Hamas was arresting him, putting him in jail for his faith, mistreating him, mistreating his family, mistreating his wife. When he got out of jail, he came to our common friend that serves there and started working together on how they could reach their community. One of those ways was by putting the word of God in people's hands. And I know at the end of the service, you're going to get an opportunity to give toward buying Bibles for that part of the world, the Arab Muslim world. A few months ago, this brother called our missionary friend who's been on the ground there for 40 years and said, I need your help. He said, I want to know how to evangelize Jews. This is a Hamas member and is now asking, how do I evangelize Jews? Our friend says, I'll certainly tell you everything I know, but tell me what's happening in your heart related to this. And he says, well, you know, our young men, they serve as gardeners and housekeepers and janitors in these Israeli settlements. And as they have drawn closer to Jesus, they actually have a burden for all lost people. And they realize that there's nobody there that's going to tell them about Jesus. And so these men who are all from a Muslim background are asking, how can we evangelize our Jewish employees? About two months ago, a former member of Hamas, who used to be arrested by the Israeli government, who got saved and then was arrested by Hamas, and then got out of prison and got heavily involved in reaching his own people, led a bunch of Muslims to the Lord. And then these Muslims who've come to faith in Jesus now draw closer to him and they see sense a, a burden for reaching out to their Jewish employers. And two months ago, this former member of Hamas baptizes three young Israeli Jewish new believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And salvation has come to this house. But none of that happened by accident. See, what I didn't tell you about my friend who's been on the ground for 40 years is that there's been a dozen reasons why he could have quit. Very, very valid reasons. And I'm sure there's been more than once or twice where he and his wife have sat on a table where they cried about something related to their children and they may have even said words like, I'm not sure this is worth it. But they said, but Jesus is worthy. Today I am asking you to change your paradigm. To stop asking whether or not What God calls you to do is worth it. And I'm asking you to put your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the hope set before him endured the cross and its shame, so that not only me and mine could come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but so that the world could come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. To go back to that Revelation chapter 5 passage, it says that they worshipped the Lamb and all the peoples present cried out in a loud voice, Worthy are you to open the scroll. Why? Because you did purchase people with your blood from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Today, the Yazidis, the Bedouin, the Kurds, the Dahuri Arabs of southern Oman, the Yemeni, the Druze, the Palestinians. They wait. They wait for God's people to stop asking the question of whether or not their salvation is worth worth it. And to cry out to Jesus, worthy is the Lamb. This morning, I ask that we worship with our yeses and with our noes. This morning, I believe that God may be calling to some of you that there are some things in your life that you need to say no to. Certainly, there are probably attitudes, maybe bitternesses that have crept in that you need to say no to this morning. That they need to be laid on the altar, a fire kindled to them, and the smoke of a burning sacrifice ascended to heaven. There are habits that are keeping you away from a holy life lived in Jesus. There is a preoccupation with comfort that has seduced your life and your lifestyle that needs to be offered up on the sacrifice. God does not call us to hardship. He calls us to himself. And then to find contentment wherever he places us in and under whatever circumstances that involves. Likewise, this morning, we worship with our yeses. We say yes with our time as we give it to the church and to lost people. We say yes with our resources. We say yes with our talents. We say yes as we serve We say yes as we give. We say yes as we cross the street to minister to our neighbor. And we we say yes as we cross the street ministering to the stranger. And we say yes when we say, Lord, I will go wherever you call me. Not because it is worth it, but because you are worthy. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Jesus. I thank you for this church. I thank you for its leadership. But more than anything, we thank you for you. Lord, we're thankful that there was one who was worthy to open the scroll. Lord, we're so thankful that you have redeemed us. You have called us by name. You have drawn us to yourself. You have made us yours. Lord, we live lives of gratitude. But, Lord, we don't want it to be selfish gratitude. Lord, this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts about what we need to say yes to and what we need to say no to. There may be someone here this morning that's never even said yes to you. That's certainly the place where it starts. For the rest of us, Lord, this morning we say yes for your name's sake
0: and for your glory in whose name we pray, amen. Mark just shared, you know, things to say yes to and no to. And I do wanna ask that question. If there's someone here today that you've never said yes to Jesus, you know, you may have wandered into the church today, might be your first time, you've been here a few times, but you've never really committed yourself to Jesus. You know, Mark said that we, we can't combine two words, no Lord, because then he's not Lord. Um, but this morning you have a chance to, to say yes to Jesus and make him Lord. So with every head bowed here this morning, before we close in song, I take up an offering for being a part of what is happening in the Arab world. If that's you today and you'd say, you know what? I've, I've never said yes to Jesus, but I know in my heart today that that's what I need to do. I've got to start there. You've got to start with that yes. And if that's you, just raise your hand. I just want to pray with you this morning that God would open up your life to who he is, that you'd commit yourself to him. Anybody here today say, yeah, I want to say yes to Jesus. Just raise your hand. We'll pray with you before we go today. I want to give you opportunity. We're committed to making disciples here and around the world. Anybody say, I want to say yes to Jesus today. God's stirring in your heart in that, in that area. I do want to encourage you that as we dismiss from this place, I'll remind you, instead of going out the doors, come forward to the front, and Pastor Mark, our youth pastor, would love to meet with you, give you a Bible, tell you where you go from here and what it looks like to follow Jesus. What we want to do is we want to partner with Mark, so I'll draw your attention up this way in Floor Host. I'm going to invite you to come. Mark's given us opportunity to be a part of getting the word into the hands of people that don't have access. I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of copies of the Bible in my house. Anybody here say, "Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple, I've got a few"? Absolutely. But we've got people in the world that don't have access to one. So we can make a difference in that area today. They have these wonderful New Testaments, as as Mark shared in the area where Shelly and I had served before, uh, that we have been able to give out thousands of those New Testament Bibles. They cost a dollar a dollar to give out God's word. And so I would challenge you this morning, could you give out 25 Bibles to people that don't have one? Could you give them, could we send a box that's $100? Could we send an entire pallet, that's $1,500, that you could send a pallet of Bibles to a place in the world that doesn't have access to the gospel? So I just want you to prepare your heart and mind, and what would God ask of you to give this morning so that other people could have access to his word? You know, we, on a, on a regular basis, usually as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, we stand out of reverence to read God's Word because what a joy that we have God's Word among us. We have access to that. So may we give that access to others. Let me pray and just bless these gifts as they are given and trust that they will multiply. God, we just pray over this offering this morning, this offering of giving your Word to people that don't have access. God, may we give a box. May we give a pallet. May we give multiple pallets of Bibles to a part of this world that desperately needs to know who you are. And so, God, we pray that you'd bless every giver this morning as they give. May they give from a cheerful and generous heart. God, as you have been generous to us, may we be generous for the sake of others. And God, I pray that these gifts, as they are collected and given, I just pray, Lord, that you would multiply these gifts. Lord, we see the... The value of multiplication, Lord, as things are given, Lord, we we ask that they be multiplied in Jesus' name and that Your word to be multiplied into the hearts of many. And we just pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So please know every dollar that's given goes toward uh, Mark and and the work of the ministry in the Arab world. Uh, We just basically receive it, count it, collect it, and send it right back out the door. So we're just going to have those offering buckets pass by as an opportunity to be part of getting God's word into the Arab world. As those offering buckets are going by, I'm going to ask. We have, uh, if you're unaware, maybe you're new to the church. We have something called a missions council, and I'm going to invite our regional directors that help us by serving as heads of regions. If you guys don't mind to come forward this morning, we have clipboards down here in the front. So, regional directors, if you could find your clipboard, if you could find your sign, and so what we have is we have these regions that we have people in on a missions council. We've got almost a hundred people that serve in the church on our missions council. And it's a very simple and engaging way for you to make a difference around the world. And so our regions, I'm going to wait for them to collect and find their region. And then, guys, if you don't mind to spread out just along the front here. And what you can do is we need to enroll a few more people in those regions. We need a couple more people to serve. So our goal is, is that for every Uh, cross-cultural worker that we support, that we have somebody in the church that is in correspondence with them, one-to-one correspondence, that you basically keep up with somebody we're serving, that we partner with in ministry, 70-plus people that we uh, support around the world, 35 different countries that we're in, and so we invite you to be a part of that personally, that you engage with those families, you find out what prayer requests they have, and so if you serve on the missions council, basically all that means is as we have these missions weekends, which we do every other month, so six in a year, then you would, of course, you are going to come and hear from whatever guests we have that weekend. On Sunday night, we have a question and answer time where we would invite everybody that's here this morning to come back tonight to hear from Mark. It's an engaging time, so it's not a one-way conversation, but then you get to ask questions of Mark so that you can hear a bit more about his heart and what they've been involved with. So you would come out to that question and answer time. And then on Monday night, tomorrow night, we have a global prayer event We transform this space with floor maps that we get on the regions and we pray for every nation in the world. And so you would come to that prayer event. And then after that, you meet with whatever guests might be here from your region. And you basically give updates within your region on the person you're responsible for to the entire group. We want to be closely connected to the people that we're involved with in ministry around the world. So that's the role. Very simple way to plug in. It gives you tangible people to pray for It engages you in in the work of the kingdom around the world. So what we have um, down here, Pat, who are you standing in for? What is it? Eurasia. Okay, thank you. Yep, so we've got Eurasia. So Eurasia's on this end. So this is the region that Mark is serving in. And so Eurasia. And what they have on those signs is the number of people that we need to be able to help and fill out our missions council. We have Matt. So the Zickmans, they work with Latin America. So they've got a number there as well. The DeWitts are over Europe. And then we've got the Ivies, who are over northern Asia. And then we've got the Gillahans, which is over Asia or uh, Asia Pacific. And then we've got Mindy with Africa. We've got um, the Moors, which are over the international ministries. So that would be like uh, we have Project Rescue in there, Convoy of Hope, Healthcare Ministries, uh, Global Initiative. So all of those things, uh, easy way to plug in there. And then Pastor Jim over U.S. Missions. So what we're going to do as we engage in song I'm going to invite you to stand this morning as we close in song and as The band begins to play, and we just begin to worship. I encourage you to worship, and one of the ways we want you to worship is to get out of your seats and come on down up front, and all you need to do is sign up your name on a clipboard to say, hey, I'd love to engage and be a part of what's happening in Latin America. I'd love for, for myself to be representative of what God is doing in Eurasia for the church. So you just come down as we sing, sign up your name on a clipboard, and when we're done singing, then I'll give us our dismissal here this morning. So feel free to come as we sing.